be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. We've made it to chapter 13 in Mark. Jesus has now come out of the temple And the conversation is now focused with his disciples, particularly with four of them, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Now, the past couple of weeks, Jesus has taught us in response to questions that have been brought to him. And likewise, the teaching this morning flows from a question that these four disciples ask Jesus. As they were leaving the temple, verse 1, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, the truth was, this temple was wonderful. The, the greatness of the size, the grandeur. If you were a tourist, this was the top thing you were going to go and see. And if you went to see it, you were going to be awestruck by the appearance of it, this huge 35-acre gold-plated building. One of the wonders, certainly, of the ancient world. But you see, the comment from the disciples is not like that of a visiting tourist. I mean, this isn't the first time they they have saw it, and it's not that they've just seen it and, whoa, it's, it's taken their breath away. 
Now, this is more a comment of national pride. Pride in their tradition, pride in their religion. Look what Jesus says to them in verse 2. He says, do you see these great buildings? It's like he's saying, look, take a look at them. There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And Jesus here is predicting the destruction of the temple that happened in AD 70, confirming the judgment that he had earlier pronounced, that we've looked at. Then verse 3, as he said on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew, they asked him privately, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And the teaching then from Jesus that follows is a response to this question. Jesus um, seems to refer to the destruction of the temple through this passage, but also the very end of time when Christ will return again. And just now, I just want to give you divisions that I think are helpful as we go through this. So do look at this with me. It seems that verses 5 to 13 are referring to the general time of the last days, period waiting for Christ's return. Then verses 14 to 23 seem to refer to something in the life of these disciples. Verses 24 to 27 then seem to refer to the end time when Christ will return. And then Jesus concludes with two parable-like illustrations. The fig tree in verses 28 to 30, referring to the time of the disciples, and then the owner of the house in verses 32 to 37, referring to all believers before the return of Christ. Now, I will say with those divisions, they may not be exactly clear-cut. There may also be overlap with them. So if you feel a little muddled and confused as we go through this morning, that's probably about right. But there is one very clear theme throughout, which can be easily picked out because of its repetition. And that is, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be alert. And stay awake. If Emma and I are watching anything on on television, it's usually a a police or or crime drama. That's what we enjoy watching. And normally with these, it's it's normally quite tense watching. And so before we start, I always receive the same warning. Stay awake. And I have to confess, I rarely do stay awake. And in the next morning, Emma will say something like, how did you sleep through that? In fact, I couldn't get to sleep at all for thinking about it. Well, Jesus says here, living in the last days, waiting for the return of Christ, be on your guard. Be alert. Stay awake. So what we're going to do just now, we're going to go through each section as I outlined it, and then I will make some closing applications for us. So firstly, verses 5 to 13. 
Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Jesus says there, there will be false messiahs, verse 6. He says there will be um, catastrophic wars and natural disasters, verse 8. He says there will be persecution for God's people, verses 9 to 13. And these are things that are, they're not specific to any particular time period. Rather, it it seems to be the normal experience of every age. It, It seems that before Jesus gets to the specifics of their question... He seems to outline the general state of the world and the role of the disciples within that. Now, verses 9 to 13, again, they can apply to all believers, but they seem to have particular application to these disciples. Verse 9, Jesus says, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten and stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Now we know that this is going to be true of Jesus. And as Jesus has been clearly teaching in the wider context of the past chapters in Mark, the way of Jesus will be the way of his followers. And we can fast forward to, to say, Acts 5, where the disciples were arrested, they were brought to council, and before they were let go, they were beaten. And verse 10, we see that that the purpose in all of this is, is so that the gospel might be proclaimed. You see, persecution does not stop the gospel, but rather advances it. And again, it's helpful to to turn to Acts. And you remember the the stoning of Stephen. And then further persecution arose from this. But actually it was that that scattered God's people to different parts, to Judea, Samaria. And the gospel was then proclaimed there. Now the all nations that is mentioned could possibly mean the the end of of Acts, that is the gospel spreading to the ends of the known world then. It's like when Paul refers to the gospel in Colossians chapter 1 and he says the gospel has spread to the whole world. And if this is the case, then, then Jesus says that this will happen before the destruction of the temple. Then verse 11, when you're brought to trial, don't be anxious about what to say, for the Holy Spirit will help you to speak. Again, we think of Peter and John in Acts 4. They were brought before the rulers, the elders, the scribes. And we read that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaimed to these leaders that stood before them, He said to them that that you are the ones who crucified Jesus, but God raised him from the dead, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter speaking in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit enabling him to speak to these leaders. 
And in verse 12, family will turn against you. And verse 13, you will be hated for, by all for my name's sake. So be in your guard, Jesus says. Persecution will come. But, but your role, he says to these disciples, your role is to proclaim the gospel. And as you continue faithful to Christ, well, then you can be sure that you will indeed be saved in the end. Verse 13. But verse 14, then, coming back to their question, Jesus says, When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So when you see the abomination of desolation, that's the sign you need to get away. Well, that just leaves the simple question, what is the abomination of desolation? Well, the first thing to note, which of course is important when we come to any text in Scripture, the words written here meant something to the disciples in their time and context as Jesus spoke them. And the words written here also meant something to the original readers and hearers in their time and context. So, for example, the the verses we have just looked at regarding persecution, as Jesus spoke them, that this was preparing the disciples for persecution in their context, And as Mark's original audience read or heard these words, they would be encouraged to continue proclaiming the gospel in Rome as they too were under the threat of serious persecutions. And likewise then, this can come to those today who are experiencing persecution and need encouraged to continue um, proclaiming the gospel. But the abomination of desolation, it was going to mean something to these disciples that Jesus was speaking to. Abomination meaning loathsome or detestable. Um, it's, It's helpful to think of the abomination that causes desolation or causes destruction. And we see this when we look to Daniel, which was where this phrase was originally Um, from in Matthew's gospel um, when he records this same conversation with Jesus and the disciples Matthew 24 15 Matthew says when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel okay so that's where we're we're getting this this phrase from and we turn to Daniel, and Daniel prophesies in chapter 9, 27. He says, And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. Further, in Daniel 11, 31, he speaks about the, the temple being profaned, and burnt offerings taken away as the abomination is set up, that makes desolate. The abomination that makes um, desolation or causes desolation. Now history would tell us that it is likely these 
prophecies in Daniel are referring to a Greek king who put up an altar of the pagan god Zeus. He put this over the altar of burnt offerings in the temple and sacrificed pigs on it. And so it seems to be that what Jesus is saying here to these disciples is that something similar to this abomination that caused desolation that Daniel spoke about, something similar to that will happen again. Something that will destroy the temple. So what could this be? What could this be? There are three main options to what this might be. The first option is that it is referring to some event before the complete destruction of the temple in AD 70, perhaps by um, some Jewish zealots or other attempts by Roman emperors to put up statues in an attempt to make themselves a god. The second option is that it is referring to the destruction of the temple in AD 70 when Titus, the son of the Roman emperor, led an army to capture Jerusalem and destroy the temple and the city. And the third option would be that the abomination of desolation is referring to what Paul calls the man of lawlessness In 2 Thessalonians, there Paul says that this man of lawlessness opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And for what it's worth, I believe the abomination of desolation fits best with option one or two, probably more likely option two, the destruction of the temple in AD 70. When Paul speaks about the man of lawlessness, it is in the context of the coming day of the Lord, which I believe to be referring to Christ's final return. And I believe these verses in Mark 13 are not pointing us to the final return of Christ. And there are a few reasons for that. Firstly, I think the most natural reading is that Jesus is responding to that question about the destruction of the temple which the disciples put to him. Also, Jesus and the disciples, they are sitting opposite the temple. And that detail seems to draw um, our attention and focus to the temple. And then you will know from the previous weeks that the wider context and teaching has all been focused on the temple. And this began from Jesus entered Jerusalem in chapter 11 and pronounced a curse and judgment on the temple and its leaders. Also, the text seems to refer to something um, in the lifetime of these disciples. We have that language of when you see. Also, the disciples are they're told to flee, um, which would seem a little strange 
uh, if this abomination of desolation is signaling the Lord's return, why would they want to flee if the Lord was returning? Also, two references from Scripture in Luke's account of this conversation. In Luke chapter 21, verse 20, he says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And then earlier in Luke, in, in Luke 19:41, it's where Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem. And he says, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you. And those two references from Luke would fit with the historical account um, of the events in AD 70. So that's my penny's worth on the abomination of desolation. Um, If you have any um, further questions about that, please see the deacons after the service. and (laughs) They'll be glad to speak to you. Um, But we'll move on here for now. Verses 15 to 19. Verses 15 to 19 speak of urgency when this happens. So when this happens, it's time to get out and get away. And then we go to verses 20 to 23. This will depend on our interpretation of verses 14 to 19. So if the abomination of desolation refers to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, then the elect probably refers to genuine believers left in the city. The situation will be of extreme severity. There will be temptations to doubt Christ, but those who are the Lord's cannot be taken from him. And then if it is referring to a time in the future, even from now, then possibly um, it is referring to the security of all believers. But again, Jesus reiterates verse 23, but be on your guard. We move on then, verses 24 to 27, which I believe now refers to the final return of Christ. Verse 24, but in those days, that little phrase would suggest um, the final return of Christ. After the tribulation, suggesting a time after what has just been spoken about. But the language of, of creation unraveling, the prophet Isaiah uses as a way of depicting the final um, judgment of Christ's coming. Also, verse 26, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. You see, when Jesus came first to die as a ransom, his glory was veiled. We sing in that carol, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. The, the, the true eternal glory of Christ was veiled in his humanity so he could come and die for the sins of the world. 
But when he returns again, there will be no mistaking his greatness and power and glory. And we see then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Again, to refer to Matthew's gospel, Jesus teaches that the Son of Man will send his angels to separate and gather those who will go to eternal judgment and those who will go to eternal blessing with Christ. Also, in Matthew again, in this account, he records Jesus saying, The Son of Man will send his angels out with a trumpet call. And when Paul in the New Testament speaks about the second coming of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians, he speaks about a trumpet call. So I believe the language here is clearly pointing to the second coming of Christ. And then we have these two parables. The first, I believe, applying to the disciples of that time. The second, applying to believers of all time. So the first, in verses 28 to 30, um, this fig tree. uh, And Jesus says, when it has leaves, you know it is near summer. And so, when you see these things um, taking place, you, you know that destruction is Verse 30, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place, which again would suggest the events spoken about in verses 14 to 23, that they refer to something within the lifetime of these disciples. And then verses 32 to 37 And we have this final section concerning that day and the day of Christ's return. No one knows when it will be. Jesus says it will be like a master who leaves his servants working at his house. They all have their various roles to do. And there there is an emphasis here on the, the doorkeeper who is to stay awake through the different watches of the night. And, of course, he's he's got to stay awake. He can't be slacking because he doesn't know when the master of the house will return. But, again, the repetitive command seems to make the main point here um, so obvious. Verse 33, be on guard. Be awake, stay awake. Verse 35, therefore, stay awake. Awake. And in verse 37, Jesus finishes this whole section, stay awake. And I believe that is what we need to take away this morning. Jesus is coming. Be on your guard. Keep awake. How do we do that? Well, allow me to leave you a few points of application Um, to help us this morning. The first is this, see that no one leads you astray. There are warnings again and again in Scripture to be on our guard against false 
teachers, those who would distort the gospel and, uh, and pull you away from true, a true gospel. Even those who say, I am he. But perhaps those that they're speaking with the very authority of Christ, but actually they are teaching contrary to the gospel of Christ. And of course it's obvious that to be in our guard against false teachers, we, we need to be continually um, studying God's word. That we are growing in discernment of what truth is and what truth is not. So perhaps someone who, who may offer us false hope for our circumstances in the here and now, we need to be assured from God's word ourselves of all that God has promised us now in Christ and in the future. Or perhaps someone who may teach um, morals contrary to scripture, but, but claiming it as Christ's word, perhaps offering us happiness, we need to be assured ourselves from Scripture that true happiness is in obedience to Christ. Perhaps those who are, who are teaching a legalistic gospel, well then we need to be assured from God's word of his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness by grace. Or, or perhaps those who are teaching antinomianism, that is those who are anti-law, well, then we need to be assured from the truth of Scripture of the gospel's power to transform us day by day, actually moving us to greater obedience to God's law. The second point, and, and, and closely linked with the first, let's be sure that we're following Christ and not man. Remember how Paul was, was totally affronted when he was writing to the Corinthians? Um, of how the, the believers there would think to follow him or Apollos. Uh, one of you ever heard anyone say, perhaps, perhaps they've moved to a different fellowship and they've said, you know, I've started going to this church, oh, they've a great man there, just, just great. And maybe that comment in itself, that, that, that doesn't mean a lot. But, but the focus actually becomes about this, this, this man, Let's be careful that, that we're not following the man. And yes, of course, we are dependent on, uh, on men to teach us. But let's be careful that we don't become so focused on that person that we actually fail to see when he may be teaching us error. Third point is this. Um, don't spend too much time speculating about the end Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you've no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You see, there are things about the return of Christ you will never know. So don't waste time trying to speculate it and work it all out. But stay alert. Okay, stay alert to what you should be doing. That is, proclaiming that Christ has come, 
that he has died, that he was resurrected and ascended, and he will return again, both to judge and to save. Remember in Acts 1, before Jesus ascended, and his disciples there asked them, asked Jesus, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And what does Jesus say to them? He says, well, that's not for you to know, but you will receive power to preach the gospel. So stay awake. Keep your focus. Proclaim the gospel with your mouth and back it up with how you live. Fourthly, unite as believers in Christ. Christ is coming. We have a gospel to proclaim. I wonder, do you know a believer? <clears throat> and whenever you um, speak, to him, speak to them, the conversation always seems to come back to the end time. Um, when it's going to happen. How it's going to to happen and you seem to have these kind of repeated conversations in circles and that, that can be helpful to a limited extent but, but but often between believers there can be a focus on what divides us as believers in, in Christ we, we we don't want to have our conversations focused on what we do not know but, but what we do know who Christ is, his sure return, and the role that he has given us to do before that. Final point, as we live in these last days, in the days of catastrophic events, in the days of persecution, in the days of false teachers, of natural disasters, encourage one another. It's not what the writer of the Hebrews says, our very purpose for meeting each week. He says, meet together for encouragement to stir one another up to love and good works, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And one way we encourage each other is by pointing each other again and again to that simple truth that Christ will return again. Listen to what Paul says um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, and with this I close. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we here alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds, sorry, to meet the Lord in the air. And so 
we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Let us pray. Our Father and God, we, we thank you for this truth that Jesus will indeed return, that he will come in power and glory um, to save those who have faith in him, to bring his elect, his own children home. And we will forever be with the Lord. And God, what a thought that is. And Father, I ask that that each of us would be able to grasp that, to hold on to that, to change how we live today in light of what will be true then. Father, may we encourage one another um, with these words in all times and all circumstances, joys and sorrows. Father, may we encourage one another with these words. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our great God and great Saviour. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we come around the Lord's table, we are going to sing again just now. And this song, One one Day, I am told we we have, um, you've, you've sang this song before. It's a song that just points us to that day when Christ will return. You will all be familiar with the chorus and um, when we all get, get to heaven. Um, so thank you, Adam and Catherine. Jesus, 
Yeah. 